Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. And I have an exciting episode for you today. I happen to have one of my very good friends and colleagues in dermatology with me, Dr. Ted Lane. Ted Lane is an MBA focused on healthcare administration and MD as well, dermatologist down in Texas. He is the chief medical officer of Sonova Dermatology and the executive director of the Austin Institute for Clinical Research. And together they have 13 locations in Texas and Louisiana. And so today, In our practice management series, we are going to talk about managing an effective team in a busy dermatology clinic. Welcome, Dr. Lane. Thank you, Dr. Schlesinger. It's so great to be with you. Yeah, happy to be with you as well. Dr. Lane is unique in many ways, but he's got a great practice. He does cosmetic dermatology, medical, and research, but also runs a busy team down there. So let's dive in. Let's talk about a few things. So um, first of all, so talking about managing an effective team, and I know you have a busy practice. My first question is, how do you support your team with technology? My idea here is to try and make the lives of my team members as easy as possible and and have them seeing as many patients with me as possible, because that's our goal is to take care of the patient population that we have. And so we really utilize technology as much as we possibly can. Obviously, we have the electronic medical record, which helps tremendously in terms of charting and patient communications as well. And by the way, I highly recommend using the patient portal within the EMR for as much patient communication as possible. It just makes things much more efficient than trying to call back patients on the phone. We've really instituted that system-wide within our group of practices, and it's made a tremendous difference. We've even instituted that within our research practice as well, as much as we could with the IRB constraints, and that's been very successful. But otherwise, the idea of patient appointment making also, for example, allowing patients to make appointments online instead of them calling in. If you really think about it, the phone is a very inefficient instrument in many ways. And so allowing patients to book themselves with an online scheduler has been tremendously effective for us. The Downside, of course, is that you have to put in a template. Otherwise, you could see 50 new patients a day all wanting skin checks, which will drive you to an early retirement. So we have learned from our mistakes and put in a template there where we have breaks, make sure we have cosmetic appointments available. We have surgical appointments available if we need to for online scheduling even. So that has made a big difference in in terms of helping not only our front office staff with the online scheduling, but also our back office kind of patient support staff with the patient portal and use of EMR. That's fantastic. And how do your patients communicate through the portal? Is it a secure two-way communication system? I'm sure HIPAA compliant. How does that sort of, you know, work? And then my other question related to that is sort of their paperwork. I mean, it's very, make it easy for your patients to do their paperwork. Is that all conducted through that system? We try in terms of the paperwork in particular, we try, we have uh, hello sign as our vendor using online filling out of the new patient paperwork or the annual paperwork that's required. And so we try and use that as much as possible. I would like that to be more adopted than it is within our practices. I feel like patients just get too many emails and they often disregard the emails from the practice, unfortunately. And we, we have too many patients, in my view, coming in and filling out paper within the reception area. A few of our practices do have the kiosks available. I find those to be not super efficient in terms of time savers either. So 
still looking for a kind of best practices solution for filling out the paperwork or at least getting the the initial information into their EMR chart. In terms of the patient portal though, Dr. Schlesinger, I think we make sure that each patient is signed up at their very first appointment and that they get a username and password. We try and communicate at least benign results to them via the patient portal and allow them to ask questions via the patient portal as well. And then for existing patients with a chronic disease that may be flaring or who have experience with their biologic for psoriasis, or, for example, we often use the patient portal if they have questions regarding any kind of change in their health or, or change in their response to their existing medication so that we can more efficiently communicate with them versus trying to reach them over the phone. Okay, that's fantastic. Sounds like a great support system for your patients. Now, internally, so communicating amongst your staff, you have multiple offices, so that requires levels of management. Can you sort of describe your management structure? How do you keep everybody on the same page? And then on top of that, I'm sure it's part of that. How do you communicate electronically or with using technology with your internal team? Mm-hmm. So I'm part of a group practice and we do have management structure and levels in place that help with operational efficiencies within each of the practices. So we obviously have the office managers, then we have the the regional managers that report up to a chief operating officer. Obviously, not every practice is going to be like that. In fact, the vast majority of dermatology practices are not like that at all. So within a a single practice, I think the easiest way to efficiently disseminate information is to have either a a weekly or or a midweek huddle where you work this into your schedule so that you can meet with your team for five or 10 minutes at the beginning of the day, talk about the schedule, talk about any patients that you're seeing or any issues that have come up. And then our office managers also have weekly team meetings during which we, you know, we provide lunch and they have a list of items to communicate and then discuss kind of how to better, more efficiently communicate between the front and back office. I found that over my last nearly, gosh, long time of practicing. That has constantly been an issue, the front and back office communications, because they are at some points at odds, right? The back office always works harder with the higher number of patients that are scheduled. And so there's always some griping between the two. But if we can more efficiently communicate between them on a weekly office meeting to talk about what the levels of friction are or the areas where we can improve, that goes a long way to avoid blowups along during the week or during the busy times that we have, especially as we're coming up in Q4. And how about providers? So your physicians, your mid-levels, whatnot, how do you organize them? How do they communicate? Are there meetings Mm -hmm. regularly with that team? And then, you know, inter-office communications rolled into that. So technology, so is it a phone system? Is it on the computer? If you want to communicate back and forth with patients or Mm -hmm. other practice problems, how does that work? Yeah. Nearly every one of our practices is on the same EMR. So that allows for inter-office communications via the intramail of our EMR. And so it's highly efficient for us to, to kind of communicate with each other that way. Of course, we also have HIPAA compliant email as well. So there's multiple ways we can communicate virtually. And then we try and do at least once a quarter provider dinners where we come together in the local area. We have, you know, central Texas is where most of our practices are. We also have some in Houston and and then in Louisiana as well. So we'll get the providers together or clinicians together to kind of talk about our enterprise level information that we want to disseminate either business-wise or kind of improving practice-wise, improving patient outcomes, 
and make sure there's a collegial atmosphere as well so that that everybody can meet each other and make sure that we are updated as to everyone's lives and, and who's having babies and what major life situations are going on. So it helps us to communicate in multiple different ways using different methods. And do you have any tips for those just starting out in practice? I mean, what are some of the things that uh, say a new practitioner coming out of residency who's looking to start their own practice or, you know, what tips would you have for them? I mean, you know, you have a large practice and has a lot of great organization, but for those who are starting out, they would may not have the resources to put all these systems in place initially. What are the first few things you would think that'd be the best for them? Yeah, great question. And I was that person. I started a, a practice right out of residency. And so I know exactly kind of what the trials and tribulations are of, of beginning a, your own practice. It's extremely stressful. And you know, you start off with a small team, right? Usually you have one office manager who also acts as your patient coordinator, and then you have maybe one medical assistant in the back and you build from there. But it's important to kind of initiate the systems and processes early, even when you're very small. So starting with that either daily or or midweek huddle is important, making sure you have regular communications though as a team in terms of not only what's going on that day, but also what are the tribulations that you've kind of dealt with over the last few weeks and what do you see coming up in terms of opportunities and, and how do you prepare your office for that? And then also to, you know, to handle the growth. Invariably the office will grow and so you'll need to hire and you'll need to start talking about what positions do we hire? When do we need to do that? Because the last thing you want is for your existing you know, employees that have helped you kind of launch your practice to feel overworked and, and underappreciated. And so you need to start staffing up when it's appropriate and including them in that decision-making process. I remember that was key for us to have a smooth transition as we dealt with the growth of the practice. Do you suggest putting together a written plan, some type of a, almost like a business plan, but more of a growth plan or say a strategy, if you will? Yeah. I think putting together a business plan before your practice starts is incredibly important. First of all, it puts structure into your thinking, your desires, and kind of your growth plans as well. Start off with a mission statement, a vision statement, values as well. Move into your pro forma financial statements as you think about, okay, this is where we want to be at, at your end of your one, your two, at the end of your five. And consultants are so plentiful there to help, including at the AAD, thinking about what uh, patient population is like, who you're serving, do you need to add more lasers here, or, or when you're going to add lasers. All of that, Todd, is really important to include in your business plan from the get-go because, it, again, it provides the roadmap for your growth, and it also keeps you, you have to have it so that you're dedicated to it. So it keeps you on the right track, right? In, in dermatology, there's so many ways to spend money, right? <laughs> you can buy different lasers, you can buy radiation machines, you can buy 10 different types of fillers, and, and you really can get lost within the, all the opportunities there is of both you know, serving your patients, but also gaining financially. And if you don't have a business plan, it's very easy to get yourself off track and, and suddenly you've spent a lot of money or spent a lot of time, which is the equivalent of money in our business, where you spend a lot of time or money on something that really is not fruitful because it wasn't part of your initial mission, vision, and values or your, your strategic growth plan. So again, I totally agree with you. Building a business plan before you get started is incredibly important and absolutely worth the time. 
I agree 100%. That's great. And you mentioned something I thought was very interesting, which is a little bit about you kind of touched on employee morale. I think managing effective team requires you to pay attention to morale in your practice and your group to make sure that people don't feel micromanaged or mm -hmm. they don't feel like, you know, they, they have no leadership at all. So what are some of the tips and tricks you can give the practicing dermatologist on maintaining good morale in the office? You know, first of all, don't hire based on wages. You're never going to win the wage battle. And if you try to, at some point, you're going to be priced out of the market such that the amount that you're paying your employees will absolutely affect your salary, your, your ability to take home dividends and your practice. So that is not a great strategy. The best strategy, in my view, is to make sure your employees are appreciated and you hire your employees well. So, and that starts at the interview, making sure that you're hiring a team player, one who's motivated and first of all, is motivated by patient care. And second of all, is motivated by the opportunity to grow. But that leads to the second point, which is having the opportunity to grow in the practice. And so make sure you have levels of MA, so MA1, MA2, MA3, for example. And sure, the salary grows commensurate to that, or the, or the hourly wage grows commensurate to that, but but it it, it signifies that the increased knowledge and experience and number of tasks that they're doing is commensurate with their title, right? And then eventually what we found in a lot of our practices is as the MAs, especially MAs, increase in, in their levels, at some point they start becoming assistant managers and so you and then managers. And so you have this internal growth plan to replace managers because you know managers they go from one office, they get to a bigger office. That's the natural growth story for especially young office managers. And so you want to make sure you have the kind of the next person available to step in their shoes that has the domain knowledge of your practice and, and your practice style. And so it's a great opportunity to not only have growth plans for individual employees, but also be able to constantly refill the managerial position as those people leave for bigger practices. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, it's a natural progression. I 100% agree. This is an unusual time. So we're coming out of the pandemic, still an, an, you know, an epidemic. So we're coming out of that. But we still have still seen pressure on employers to find good employees. I mean, mm -hmm. we still, I feel like, where are the employees, whatnot? You know, we've had the great resignation or sort of this slow quitting type of thing where employees may be in the office and, and maybe not working as hard, maybe their minds on something else, or they just resign to do who knows what. So how have you faced those challenges during the pandemic and then coming out of that? We just replaced our bullpen, really. So what we've instigated now is an MA intern program where we have, you know, people that are coming right out of um, medical assisting school or who are still in medical assisting school come in and do internships with us. And then we hire them and we, we really train them based on a program that we developed over the last 12 to 18 months. And it's, it's a slow training process because we want to make sure that they are absolutely up to date with the skills that are necessary to work within a busy practice. We don't just throw them in. First of all, that leads to frustration and early quitting on their part. And second of all, it, it also makes much better employees, right? They appreciate the training and the time that we invest in them such that when they are out and helping you in the office, they are much more loyal in my view. So we've kind of started early now to kind of build our own process of hiring and training MAs knowing that, sure, there's going to be a natural turnover within this where bus drivers make $23 an hour. Sometimes it can be difficult to keep everyone. But 
we have that, as I said, that bullpen of, of young employees who we are training so that we feel comfortable with that turnover and I'm not trying to say we don't minimize turnover, but it happens and we feel comfortable with the people that we have in place to kind of replace those who are leaving. That's great. And among that population of trainees, for example, so is there any system in place to sort of work in, to bring in different populations, maybe underserved populations? Mm -hmm. I know you have different off different areas. How do you create diversity? How do you keep diversity within your organization? Diversity is something that we really focus on within our organization. We serve a diverse patient population within our practices, even as a on the enterprise level, just because our clinics are located in such diverse patient populations themselves, we serve a diverse patient population. But also within a clinic, you have numerous, especially in areas like Austin, where so many people are moving to, there are, are so many different types of patients that we deal with. So so absolutely, we try and kind of replicate our patient population with our employees as well. And we hire g- good people and we're willing to train. And so I think once that word is out, we've had no problem having young employees come to us. And as I said, we do focus on diversity within our employees. I think that's key. I think hiring good people is, is very important in the practice. And then you had mentioned to me earlier, about efficiency, for example, you know, team efficiency. So, you know, I think the portal is helpful. You know, what you said, the proper EMR, good communication in the practice. So then callbacks, you know, where those are the bane of our existence, uh, patients calling in for refills, calling in mm-hmm. for problems, it takes a lot of time, takes away time from patient care and, and other things we can be doing. So what have you done to reduce callbacks and and what tips and tricks do you have for us? Yeah. What I found is is patient education at the appointment leads to many fewer callbacks down the road. So making sure they understand the potential side effects or adverse events that can be related to the medications you're prescribing can help tremendously. Making sure they understand which pharmacy you're sending to, how that pharmacy operates. Many of us use specialty pharmacies now who do a lot of the legwork for us in terms of prior authorizations, but also some of the patient communication as well. That's super helpful, but making sure the patient understands how those work as compared to a conventional pharmacy that they're more used to using. So I would say one pearl there is just spend the time at the patient visit, either through the clinician talking with the patient or through the support staff speaking with the patient. And that is something that I hand off very easily will lead to many fewer callbacks. We talk a lot about practicing at the top of your license, right? Where physicians or PAs or NPs are practicing, their job is to see the patients prescribe and and work on the health and welfare of the patient. Many things can be delegated, and that's what we try and do. We try and delegate to good people, which is why we spend so much time training, the ability to communicate effectively to our patients so that it doesn't lie on the shoulders of the clinician and it more rests on, on our medical assistant's shoulders. And if you, you know, they understand that without good education within the practice at, at the visit, they're most likely going to get callbacks or get portal emails. or And so they're motivated and incentivized to do that education because it makes their life easier down the road. It makes a ton of sense. You know, as we sort of come to the end of our discussion today, which by the way, I think is excellent. And I think it's great tips for everybody. Uh, tell me about the team ethos at Snow Dermatology. You know, we really work on mutual respect is how I would say it, where we try not to have kind of a doctor or a PA or NP working at a at a level of of being better than or feeling like they are at a higher level than the medical assistants because we're all part of a care team and we preach that 
nearly every meeting, which is we're all involved in patient care and we can't do this without each other, right? I certainly couldn't see patients without the MAs and vice versa. It would be extremely difficult and frustrating for all of us. And so if you're part of a care team and then you act as a care team and, and you have each other's backs and you protect each other, you care for each other and you support each other. And, you know, whether that's just a simple thank you, whether it's you know, if you reach a certain goal, you take them out for dinner, you have them over to your house. I mean, there's there's so many different ways to show appreciation that is not financial, but shows that you care for them as a person and you appreciate what they're doing for you and for the patients. And I think that goes a really long way in, again, maintaining loyalty, but also improving morale within the practice. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Well, you know, this has been a great discussion. I think we've covered a lot of ground here. So any final tips that you would have for the practicing dermatologist, those starting out or even those in practice, you know, for a while, anything final you might want to leave with us? We've talked about a lot of things today, Todd. I think spending time on that business plan is very important. Financially benchmarking yourself on an annual or biannual basis is important doing secret callers where you could have a family member, for example, call in and see what their experience is like when they call in, making sure that you have surveys for your patients so you have data to collect and use statistics and data to determine what's working right and what's working wrong within your practice in terms of to the workflow. And then we you know one thing we didn't really touch on is workflow analysis. So making sure that you have a consultant or you can even do it with your office manager, kind of walk through what the patient experience is like in the practice from when they either call or walk in the door and think about how you can improve the efficiency there. All of that is really important to maximize both your efficiencies as well as your staff efficiencies and patient outcomes will follow from that. I think it's fantastic. And I think for those of us that are participating in continuing certification, there are some excellent resources on not only the American Board of Dermatology's website, but also through the AAD that can help with uh, improving efficiency and exercises that you can do that touch on just those topics. So I think that it's helpful you know, for folks to check those out. Well, Ted, this has been great. I think it's been an excellent discussion. Uh, I know you run a great practice down there. I learned a lot from you today and I hope our listeners will take advantage of it. So thank you very much for uh, taking your time to speak with Dialogues today. Hey, it's been great, Todd. Thank you so much. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.